0: This edition of the Generations Radio program originally aired in 2011. For additional shows on hundreds of topics, search our archives at generations.org.
1: Welcome, my friends, to the Generations Radio broadcast. Kevin Swanson, your host, with you today, broadcasting from the Eastern Plains of Colorado, where we homeschool our five children. And ladies and gentlemen, today we're going to talk about a basic social unit of the family. We believe this is the most fundamental social unit that God has given to man. And John Jacques Rousseau did not agree with this. He was the man behind the modern social theory that runs the way that people think about society in the present day. John Jacques Rousseau wrote The Social Contract and a book called A Meal on how to educate children in the modern age. Wrote these in the 1700s. Of course, before he wrote the book, instructing us how to develop our social systems, he dumped five of his children on the steps of an orphanage, and each one of them, he deposited them there on the day they were born. He forgot to check their gender, didn't know whether he had boys or girls. John Jacques Rousseau was the man behind the present systems, his social systems not based in family. He gave up on the notion of family. He said it was a neat concept, it was a neat theory, but not good enough for his solutions, and his solutions were statistic. Now, as you move Move into the 1800s. You find that missionaries dumped their kids in boarding schools and then went out to try to disciple the nations and trying to tell them how to observe everything Jesus commanded, which, by the way, is the Great Commission. But did a really poor job at it because they didn't really raise their own children the fear and nurture of the Lord in their homes as they walked. By the way, as they rose up, as light lied down, they didn't exhort one another daily in their homes. But friends, they lost the concept of, of child discipleship in those homes and therefore were unable, for the most part, in the 1800s and 1900s, to convey a full or biblical perspective on how to raise the next generation to millions and millions of parents in mission fields all around the world. Now, we again begin with Rousseau. Rousseau said, you dump your kids in orphanages and then you go save the world. Missionaries dumped their kids in boarding schools and then went out to disciple the nations. This is the way we've done it for 200 years. Now, a Biblical social theory is not reflected in what has happened over the last 200 years in modern society. A biblical social theory is centered around 1 Timothy 3, 4, and 5. If a man cannot rule his own household well, neither can he rule in the household of God. Now, that's the basic Christian social theory. A man has to take care of his own household first. A man's family is preeminent. A man must learn to be a good father first before he knows how to nurture and disciple and lead in the household of God. By the way, 1 Thessalonians two eleven and 12 bear out the same idea. Well, friends, the social theory we're bringing on this program is to take care of your family first. And the problem, of course, with our systems today is we think we can salvage America with some hockey mom from Alaska with another kid with another kid born out of wedlock. And that's not going to happen. You're not going to reverse a nation in four years with a hockey mom from Alaska with some of the same problems that uh, just, well, pretty much the entire United States is dealing with today. And you're not going to salvage America with another cheating congressman from Georgia who wants to run for president of the United States right now. You're not going to salvage America with a cheating Republican governor from California. Now, what, what happen, has to happen here? Well, these guys, these people need to go home. They need to just go home and clean up their own lives, clean up their own families, and stop trying to lead a nation. Forget the nation. Let the nation go down the tubes. That doesn't matter. If you're a mess, you're not going to solve the nation's problems. That's basic biblical social theory. The family is basic. So if we're going to restore faith in this country, we're going to restore freedoms in this country, friends, it's going to begin with a family. It's going to begin with first things first, fathers learning how to be fathers again, families learning how to be families again. That's where it all begins. Ladies and gentlemen, in just a moment, I'm going to be with Vodi Bauckham, and Vodi's going to talk to us a little bit about his book, Family Driven Faith. We're getting back to the basics, back to the foundations. Is the family preeminent In developing our social theories In developing our church communities In developing our social communities Yes, absolutely The family is foundational It's basic We're not saying that the family is more important than the church Or that the church is more important than the family All we're saying is first things first If the family is not being ruled well The churches will go down the tubes And that is what has happened over the last 100 years. Be back in just a moment with Vodi Bacham. You know, busyness has a way of creeping into our lives. As dads, it can leave us longing for moments of one-on-one time with our sons to simply talk. And those moments can be tough to come by. I get it. That's one of our top goals for our annual summer father-son retreat in the Colorado Mountains, to provide quality time for you to connect with your son. Can you think of anything more important for your schedule next year? If you are looking for an opportunity to bond, to really bond with your son, then join me, Kevin Swanson, and hundreds of other fathers and sons from across the country next August. But be sure to register soon because we max out the camp every year and we're already filling up. Go to coloradafatherson.com today and choose one of the two weekends available before they are full. Lord willing, I will be there and it will be a great opportunity to meet you and your son. This is your chance to secure the lowest price for this event. So go to ColoradoFatherson.com and register today. Welcome back to the Generations Radio broadcast. Kevin Swanson, your host, with you today. And here is one of the most helpful books I have read on the family. One of the most practical books out there. It's one of the best books on the Christian family today. Incredibly readable. It's by Vodi Bockham. It's called Family Derivative Faith Doing What It Takes to Raise Sons and Daughters Who Walk with God. And it's got Vodi's personality throughout, which makes it helpful and fun to read. Vodi Bockham is with me now, the author of this book. Hey, Vodi, welcome back to the program. Hey, thank
0: you. It's always good
1: to be with you. Yeah. Yeah, it's great. And you've got a book out on the vision for the family. And just this morning, my dad sent me this article from Newsweek magazine about a prominent American evangelical family. I won't tell them their names, but uh, I will say that that uh, the, 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 the Newsweek and the major media has been following this family for a long, long, long time. And they mentioned that three of the children are divorced. There's been drug addiction, teenage pregnancy, eating disorders, alcohol abuse, domestic violence, you know, right down the line. Because, hey, you know, they're a normal American family. I mean, what else would you expect? Odie, what's wrong with this picture?
0: You know, what's wrong with this picture is that, for the most part, Christian families live just like the average American family. There's little or no difference between the way we conduct ourselves, what our dreams, our hopes, our aspirations are, um, and what we invest into our children than what everybody else is investing in their children. And so we're aiming at the same targets and experiencing the same turmoil as families
1: at large in our culture. Which means they're not getting any different message, which means they're not being equipped, which means they're not reading the Bible, which is a very good book. I recommend it, by the way, to our listeners. What's, what's, what's wrong with the churches? I mean, is, are we as evangelicals? I mean, this, We're talking about an evangelical family. I'm not going to mention their names because it's, it's just too big of a name to mention on the air. But this is a family that's got a fair amount of dysfunctionality in it. Now, what happened here? Did the, the, the father did go out and evangelize and preach the gospel and leave his kids in boarding schools? And by the way, they did that. <laughs> I will say, a little bit of a hint, they did that. Um, what's going on here? We, uh, priorities are wrong. We're not reading the Word of God. We're not applying the Word of God. You know, family
0: worship uh, used to be a mainstay. Yeah. And one, one of my favorite books, and I quote it throughout Family Human Faith, on family worship is uh, James Alexander's book from 1847, Thoughts on Family Worship. Uh-huh. The interesting thing about that book is here is a man, in England who is concerned as he sees this practice beginning to wane and he writes it as sort of a wake-up call and a warning. And now it's just as poignant on the other end of the spectrum and on the other side of the Atlantic as we um, have been without the practice uh, for generations now. Mm -hmm. People have no concept whatsoever of family discipleship, family worship, of the Word of God being read, studied, of prayers being offered to God, of songs of praise and worship being offered to God right. within the context of the home. Right. We know nothing about this practice. Mm. And so God has been just all but removed mm. from our homes uh, almost almost completely. Um, mm. And so, yeah, even, even in evangelical homes, the only difference tends to be um, a couple of times a month yeah. on the doors of the church.
1: Yeah. Yeah, exactly. And I think they have the impression that if they can just, just send their kid off to some evangelical camp of some sort, maybe they can have an emotional experience over an hour or two, and that's the extent of their discipleship. But that's not the, the vision we get from Deuteronomy 6, from uh, Ephesians 6, 4, or, or even Hebrews three thirteen, where we're to exhort daily so long as it's called today. It's a daily thing. It's got to be a daily thing.
0: You know, it's, it's, you look at the other end of the spectrum, you look at, for example, American politics, and people get all upset when an American politician uh, goes to church and says the right thing, has all the right platitudes, but their voting record is absolutely pagan. Yeah. And people get all upset because they're going, "Oh, you just live like that on the outside, <laughs> but, you know, your voting right record. The average American family is the same way. On the outside, they get up, they go to church. But when it comes to their voting record, you know, what they do with their money, what they do with their time, what they actually are investing in their children, they're living the same kind of shallow, empty spiritual lives and raising their children in the same kind of shallow, empty spirituality that we get mad at politicians for you know, exhibiting and call them hypocrites. Um, so it, it is the same thing. We are doing the same thing. We are seeking the same things. We are living the exact same way, perhaps adding, you know, a couple of Sundays a month at church, and, and we're experiencing the same results.
1: Well, I think it gets back to very basic questions. What are we here on planet Earth to do? Is it to seek material well-being? Is it to make ourselves fat and happy? Or is it to extend the kingdom of God into the next generation? And and parents have the real potential to raise up a godly seed for the glory of God and for the extension of his kingdom. And You've got to get passionate about these things, don't you?
0: You know, you really do. And... What we are passionate about is, ultimately, what our children will be passionate about in most instances. You find families who are sports fanatics, and they're probably going to raise sports fanatics. You have families that are engrossed in absolutely committed to academics. You're going to see children raised up who are engrossed in absolutely committed to academics. We, we, we understand that scenario with everything. But then, when it comes to our spiritual lives, you know, one thing that I, I hear from parents all the time, you know, you talk about catechizing your children and reading the Bible and praying and singing together and doing this in your home, and they say, "Oh, no, no, no! I wouldn't want to force religion on my children. I want them to learn to to love God on their own." I said, "Really? But you force them to go to school. Mm-hmm. Don't you want them to learn how to love academics on their own? You force them to learn how to read. Don't you want them to love books?" And so, every other area of life where we think something's important, we force it on our children. But when it comes to religion, we always say, no, 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 no. I don't want to force that on my kids. And the bottom line is, those things that we're forcing on our children is what they're living for, and religion's
1: not one of them. Hmm. Voter, you talk about homeschooling in your book, Family Driven Faith. It comes up, it obviously comes up. It's part of your lifestyle. So, you talk about it. Is homeschooling the solution? I mean, actually, you immediately say it's it's not, because, uh, because some 50% of people home-educating don't even profess to be Christians. Uh, but what is this home-education thing, and how does it play into a family-driven faith?
0: The, the interesting thing about it is when you understand your responsibility to disciple, to disciple your children, it is impossible to divorce that. From education, because education is discipleship. Luke yeah. chapter 6, verse 40. A pupil is not above his teacher, but everyone, when he is fully trained, will be like his teacher. And so, when you understand that, um, as well as other biblical principles, you know, Psalm 1, where we stand and sit and walk, <laughs> you know, delighting in the, law of the Lord day and night, um, when we understand Colossians 2 8, um, you know, the philosophies of men, um, when we understand Romans 12, uh, too, you know, don't be conformed to the pattern in this world. There's no more conforming uh, entity in a culture than education. Um, so when you understand these truths and understand your responsibility to disciple your children, the logical next step is you begin to take control of the education of your children and seek to it that you give your children a Christian education, that you govern that education, that you guide that education, that you supervise that education, and that you participate in that education. And so homeschooling for us is just a natural outgrowth of our uh, understanding of our responsibilities as parents.
1: You know, I always look at both aspects of of public education or conventional education. You've got the aspect of teachers standing up there and teaching some worldview or trying to get some facts into their brains. Then you've got the other problem of the pop culture and the peers. And, and we did some math and we realized that, that these kids spend five to six thousand hours with the same peers if they stay in the same community over five to six years, but they have different teachers every year or d- different, um, d- different teachers every class. Uh, and so it appears that the people they're with the most happen to be their peers. And and the pop culture. You know, is, I, I would think that would bother the average parent. That here you have peers and pop culture that is getting in the way. And by the time these kids turn 12 or 13, their hearts are way, way separated from their parents, largely because they've been there with their peers for five or six years.
0: Yeah, and, and peers and pop culture, but also the overarching worldview that permeates the system. Yeah wherein they engage in those relationships. Yeah. So you have a a, a, a system that is neo Marxist, secular human by design. Yeah. You have, you know, peers who are being raised by that system more than by their parents. In kindergarten through twelfth grade, the kid spends fourteen thousand instructional hours in school. Yeah. And then you have pop culture, which really is designed not to instruct a lot of people worry about pop culture because of its indoctrination it's not so much indoctrination as it is marketing they're trying to get these children to make investments and the only way you get people to make investments is to make them believe that something is important and that it is essential and so they're teaching their children what's important what's essential what's essential what they have to have and what they need to spend their energy and their resources acquiring Again, that's reinforced within the peer group, which is reinforced in the neo secular humanist institution uh, that, that in they're confined. So, uh, I mean, all of these things work together, and if we continue to do what we're doing, we're going to continue to get what we've gotten. That's what J Gresham-Machin called the public school system
1: You know, um, you do talk about entertainment some in your book. You you obviously aren't completely sheltering your children from the culture around them. They have access to movies. My children do the same. But what's the difference here? What's the difference between a, a non-supervised, undisciplined, uh, parent-absent system and in the system you talk about in your book, Family Driven Faith?
0: You know... Media is inevitable, and the media is always changing. Um, Men used to carve on rocks, and then there were books, and then there were libraries, and then people had their own personal libraries, and so then there's radio, media is always changing. So it's not something that you can run away from, but just like parents have always had to do, we have to be, number one, discerning about what media we partake in ourselves, discerning about what media we need then allow our children to partake in, but then three, and this is what I try to get in the book, we have to be very purposeful about guiding our children and teaching our children not just what to watch, but how to watch. Yeah. How, what to look for. What are people trying to do to you in this particular medium? What is the worldview that is present here? How do you know that this worldview is present? Who's the protagonist? What are they trying to make you feel about the protagonist? So... we've got to teach our children how to think about media. And I I think what that will eventually translate into is not only children who understand how to consume media responsibly, but it will also translate into children, uh, in some instances, who know how to produce media. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, I, I, I mean, you're doing a your radio program. Yeah. Kids are learning about oh, radio yeah. and it's a yeah. very important medium. Yeah. Uh, both of us have been involved with the San Antonio Independent Christian Film Festival. Sure. You yeah. know, there are people out there who are learning uh-huh. how to use that medium, and you know, so I, I think the last thing that we need to do is run from it and hide from it. Yeah. I think mean, we need to learn how to evaluate it. Uh, we need to learn how to master it, and ultimately, we need to learn how to leverage it for the kingdom.
1: Do you want your children sitting around watching movies all by themselves and sort of crawling into the media and separating themselves from the rest of the family? You follow me here, Vodi? I mean, if if your children aren't still part of your culture and become part of another culture, now you've got another problem on your hands.
0: Yeah, absolutely. And it goes back to... The same idea of the way we live our lives and spend our time. Yeah, the, the idea that everyone has their own media. Um, you know, I we had a conference a couple of years ago at our church, and a gentleman who came in came in and talked to us about um, the sort of the way family has has evolved and how you know you had a radio and everyone sat together as a family listening to the same radio program. Yes. Yeah. And then television came in, and everyone sat together around the television, and you had the same television program. Well, then everybody got a TV in their own space, and then everybody got their own music with their own iPod. So the idea is that everybody becomes sort of fragmented and completely individualized, Mm. and we no longer share that as a family. Therefore, we are no longer influencing as parents, Mm. uh, let alone guarding um, as parents. Uh, what's being taken in by our children, and if we're going to do something different, it has to be purposeful. Yeah,
1: yeah. One of the things I've started doing in my family is is play music out loud. I mean, I used to use some earphones myself, but the last couple of years, I, I just I pull out those earphones and just let everybody enjoy the music at the same time. Hey, we can interact with it. Absolutely, oh.
0: absolutely, and that becomes important as well. And again, that you know that goes into a whole nother um, discussion about you know, music, what quality music is. And, you know, Postman's book, entertaining Ourselves to Death, Um, and the the, the, the new uh, book, uh, Gordon's book, you know, Why Johnny Can't Sing Hymns, Um, you know, one of the things that's happening is uh, our children are just consuming pop culture and pop music. The, the, The only people that really appreciate classical music, good, solid, foundational music, are people who've been forced to. You have to acquire a taste for it. And if we don't put that before our children, music that is good, music that is sound, music Mm -hmm. that is solid, foundational music, they're not going to develop a taste for it. And all they'll have a taste for it is drivel.
1: And one of the things I've noticed is if I love something and my children love me and I love my children, my children will often love the thing I love. Right. That makes sense. Yeah. Exactly. Incredible.
0: It, and it's just great, you know it's a great experience to have your children love it and maybe discover some things about it that you didn't know and ha- help help you to love and appreciate the thing more. Um, exactly. So, yeah. But again, all of these things are a part of that purposeful life that we live. And unfortunately, right now, the biggest thing is we're not living on purpose. Yeah. Um, yeah. Let alone a gospel centered life a biblical life a multi-generational life you know forget those things you know we're not even we're not living on purpose at all um and and that that's that's the first thing
1: that we have mm. to do is we have to live on purpose we have, we have to parent on purpose right we have to live for the kingdom of god first and foremost and not for our existentialistic myopic way of looking at our own lives now, now, as you talk about multi generational legacies, you bring this out in your book, Family Driven Faith. Uh, birth implosions. We have eighty countries around the world birth imploding now. People aren't having children. It's a huge issue. Some populations will not exist by the year twenty one hundred, um, but some will. Some Jews will remain. You have an interesting chart c- contrasting different uh, sects of the Jews, and you uh, some are having children, some aren't, some won't have anybody left by the year twenty one hundred. Some will. The, the, the fact of the matter is, demographics are shifting, and they're shifting dramatically. Perhaps the largest demographic shift we've seen since Noah's flood, which, by the way, was a demographic shift. Uh, you know, <laughs> but huge, huge changes happening right now. And, voting I mean, are we going to be able to salvage some bit of the faith here by, by having some kids?
0: I, I, I guess the, the simple answer is Maybe. Yeah. <laughs> you know maybe. Uh-huh. Uh, what we do know is, even secularists. I, I was watching um, a lecture by a guy, again, complete secularist. I don't even remember where it was, but he basically was saying the religious will inherit the earth. That if you if you want to know who's having kids, they are the most orthodox. Oral. Judaism, the most orthodox in Islam, and the most orthodox in Christianity, um, you know, you put a couple of cults in there as well, um, but those are the people who are having larger larger families. Um, and so, other than that, uh, apart for, apart from religion, if all you have is secular humanism and materialism, it makes no sense whatsoever to have a large family. Just, I mean, just none. Yeah. Um, None at all, unless you are living through something beyond yourself, bigger than yourself, um, bigger than, you know, acquiring and accumulating things in the here and the now. Um, And so I, I do see that people who are more orthodox in their understanding of biblical Christianity are embracing children like the blessing that the Bible says that they are. Um, and again, you know, when we have those children, we have to also be purposeful. What good does it do us to have a large number of children if we're still not going to live on purpose and we're still not going to evangelize and disciple our children and we're still going to give them over to the world? Um, so it's, 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 having children is a part of the, 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 the puzzle, but it's, it's about the way that we raise and disciple those children.
1: Votie, it seems like the very, very bottom line problem with the modern age is that men are just selfish. I mean, we don't get right down to it. Why don't people have children? They're inconvenient. They're a pain. They take time. They take love and, and it's going to get in the way of my program and my quality of life. And men are so incredibly selfish as they crawl into themselves and they try to provide for themselves. And that selfishness, ultimately, is going to be a curse to them. Yeah, it, it is. But how do we how do we get past that, Vodhi? How do we get past our selfishness?
0: Well, one thing is, I mean, listen, the, our problem is sin. You know, creation, fall, redemption, consummation. God created the world, and everything he created was good. Man fell. We're sinners. We're alienated from God. That's the that's the root and the source of all our problems. Mm -hmm. What's our answer? You know, our answer is redemption. Our answer is that we might be redeemed. That the last Adam who succeeded where the first Adam failed would redeem us and would restore in us that broken image of Almighty God and change the way that we Mm -hmm. think about what's important in this world. Mm -hmm. But even then, we must always remember that ultimately that consummation and fulfillment of our joy Comes when Christ returns and says all things are right. So we always have a forward-looking um, perspective on these things. That we 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 have these problems, and there's one problem after another, one difficulty after another. They're the consequence of the fall. We need to be redeemed, but ultimately, our our only
1: answer is Christ Himself and the consummation of all things in Him. So a man has come to that conclusion that God redeems and God has loved him. Now he needs to love himself. He, he needs to love his family. He needs to love his wife. He needs to love his children. What does that look like?
0: Well, you know, what I try to point out in the book, and the book basically is basically it's an exposition of Deuteronomy 6. Yeah. And um, just walking through those principles there, um, but ultimately what that looks like. Recognizing that Christ and your relationship with Christ is the most precious thing you have, and that your children are the most precious ones to you. And if that's true, then you should want nothing more than you want to see your children come to know the Lord. So you invest in your children in order that they might come to know and follow out. Be faithful to his promises, and that it will bear much fruit as we invest in the lives of these precious ones. Oh. And there should be nothing more important in the world to us than that.
1: And I think we lose sense of these incredibly important values as, as we are the selfish, materialistic, existentialistic pigs that this world has turned us into. And by God's grace, as you say, by the redemption of Jesus Christ, we begin to see with new eyes the value, the value of Christ. The, the value of his salvation, the value of our children, the, the value of them loving Christ themselves. And, uh, the,
0: problem, the problem we believe, the problem that we have right now is we believe that there, again, creation, fall, redemption, consummation. We don't believe that there's a creator. That's the first problem. Yeah. The fall, we believe, is a lack of education. Yeah. So redemption is gaining more knowledge. Yeah. Consummation is that knowledge turning into material wealth. So as a result, we do believe that there is a Savior, and we want nothing more than for our children to embrace that Savior and be embraced by that Savior, but that Savior's name is education.
1: Yeah, get into a good college.
0: Yeah, absolutely. And so we're not worried about our children learning from a biblical worldview. We're worried about their SAT scores. So if someone will crush their soul but give them good SAT scores, we'll make that trade. And then ultimately, we believe that it's most important, again, the consummation that that redemption of education brings is the accumulation of material wealth. So successful parenting for most people, Christian and non-Christian, I give my children more than my parents gave me and see to it that they're sufficiently educated so that they can give my grandchildren more than I gave
1: them. Ladies and gentlemen, great words from Vodi Bakum today. The book is Family Driven Faith. And by the way, there is a Family Driven Faith conference coming up on August 12th. For more information, you might visit the website familydrivenfaith.org on the web. Vodi, thanks so much for joining us on Generations Today. Actually, they should go to, to uh, Vodibachum.org. Vodibachum.org. That's the website, friends, for for the conference and any other information on Vodibachum's ministries. And again, the book is Family Driven Faith. I highly recommend it. Available at uh, anywhere on the Internet. So grab a copy of it today. Um, Vodibachum, thanks so much for joining us on Generations. Sure thing. God bless you, brother. Thank you. By the way, ladies and gentlemen, the book Family Driven Faith by Vody Bauckham, available on our website, kevinswanson.com. You can order right now if you'd like at kevinswanson.com. And while you're there, remember, we're right in the middle of our fundraising month. This is the way we keep ourselves on the air. We have some 80 countries tuning in to us. Tens of thousands of people have access to our message concerning faith, family, and freedom. And if you think this program is helpful to yourselves, to others, perhaps you'd like to help us with 10 bucks a month. Yeah, 10 bucks a month or 20 bucks a month, something simple like that. Uh, we're looking for a hundred sponsors to keep us going for one more year. And this is typically when we do it each year. We've been on the air for eight years now. And every May and June, we try to raise about a hundred sponsors, a hundred brave souls who are willing to step out and courageously support a program that uh, others may not be interested in supporting. Uh, but we believe that the message is important and it's getting out to a lot of folks. So if you believe that's true yourselves and would like to get behind it, please Consider supporting our program at kevinswanson.com. We have 37 folks signed up out of the 100 supporters we're targeting for this particular fundraising campaign. If you're willing to be part of that 100, please go to kevinswanson.com today and donate to our program. Ladies and gentlemen, you can interact with the program by emailing me directly at hostkevinswanson.com. You can also hear the program anytime, anywhere in the world at kevinswanson.com. This is Kevin Swanson inviting you back again next time as we continue to lay down a vision for the next generation.